17 was a shortened week of the Premiership with only four games, but we'll get through an hour of content. AJ and Reese recap the four games in depth, plus look at Brandon Smith's potential suspension for his foul mouth spray towards a match official. Plus, look at the Origin Decider and the COVID chaos engulfing the Queensland Maroons. This is the League Scenes look at Round 17 and an early preview of the Origin Decider, coming up on Wednesday night. Welcome to the League Scenes Look at Round 17 of the NRL season. I'm AJ Luke Antonio, contributor of the League Unlimited website and the Front Row Program. Joining me, as always, is nothing but League contributor, Reese Sullivan. Reese, nice to have you back, my friend. Nice to be back here, AJ. Interesting point of the season now. Origin Decider coming up on Wednesday. The NRL season kind of heating up to a point where teams have really got to make a move to get to the position where they can be in contention for the semifinals. And then you've got clubs that could be, that are trying to fight for top four and teams trying to get out of bottom four. It's an interesting predicament that we're at 17 rounds gone now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you take a look at the ladder. All right. There are probably about 11 teams still with a real shot of making the finals. You know, Mm -hmm. fifth to 11, all separated by six points. So, really, really close. And it should set us up really nicely for this run home. It, it's going to be a fun end to the season, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Sit back, relax, get your cup and tea ready to go, and we're going to get right into it today. We're going to go through the four games in our abbreviated round, plus we're going to preview State of Origin 3. That is coming up on Wednesday night. I've been honoured to not only preview the game now, but I'm going to be covering... My first origin on Wednesday night. I am super excited. Mate. I am super excited to do it. And I'm very honored and humbled to be doing that. But without further ado, we are going to get into Thursday night football. And it was a convincing win for the Cronulla Sharks, 28 points to six. The Sharks did it without Nico Hines. There's a lot of contention about whether Nico Hines is sort of the glue of this team. And they proved that they can do it. Without Nico, and I think Matt Moylan deserves all the praise. Mate, I'm convinced that what we saw um, on Thursday night wasn't Matt Moylan. It was God (laughs) wearing a Matt Moylan jersey. Seriously. (laughs) No, seriously. We haven't seen that level of dominance from Moylan since his time with the Panthers. Go back to 2016? Yep, that step in and just control the game. All right? You know, you look at his stats, all right? 47 touches of the footy, mm-hmm. which was the most for any Sharks player not named Trindle or Braley. Trindle only had seven more touches despite being the halfback. Um, mm-hmm. Moylan, his kicking game, all right? Six kicks, 135 meters, a bomb, a grubber, a crossfield kick in there. He's putting it all on the table. Absolutely everything. And then his running game, too, all right? 11 carries, 76 meters, got the two line break assists, the two try assists. He was just causing the storm so many issues in the game. 
hundred percent he was. Um, but one player that I think has been overlooked as far as praise in this shark side, Blake Braley. Oh, definitely. Like you look through the sharks recruitment, and a lot of criticism was made when they let Jaden go to Newcastle. But I think that the new the sharks recruitment have made a very good decision here, realizing the potential that Blake has to offer, and that's no knock on. Jaden's ability whatsoever. Jaden's had a bit of an up and down time at Newcastle, derailed by injury. But Blake's got all of the potential, all of the status quo to be a hooker in the competition for the next 10 to 15 years. He's got age on his side. He's getting better with every performance. And he bagged a good try. And I think that he's got the goods there. But uh, who else played good? Connor Tracy. I thought his carries coming out of yardage in particular. Very, very good, mate. Yeah, definitely. 173 metres, 66 coming after contact. Those are the type of numbers you want to see for a centre who you want to bring the ball. And then on the other side of the field, Jesse Ramian was able to be used as a strike weapon. He came away with a hat-trick. He was. But anyway, let's flip the script to Melbourne. Um, We've raised it all season about lack of depth, and could this finally be the year where the lack of depth kills them? And I think at the moment, you look at the way they played on Thursday night, I think the answer is an emphatic yes. It's becoming increasingly clear that for the Storm to field a competent attacking side for 80 minutes, not including the random seven-minute flurry they had against Manly, but for 80 minutes, they have to have both Cameron Munster and Jerome Hughes on the field. They need a full-functioning spine, full stop. Uh, I think they can get away with Pappenhausen being out, with one of Grant or Smith being out. But when they're down one of their halves, that's when the gears really stop turning for the Storm. Yeah, We made that point, what was it, after their two straight losses against Penrith and uh, Cowboys? Yeah. yeah, we pointed out about how Jerome Hughes being out the side just ruined the momentum. And it feels like with Munster out, it's still, even with Hughes back in the side, that momentum that we saw early in the season from Melbourne, just isn't being able to tick over. Um, Ryan Pappenhausen's playing broken to me. Yeah. Look, first of all, full credit to Nick Amini. He tried. He did his best at 5'8". You know, got involved, went looking for the ball, got involved in the kicking game a little bit, 88 metres on 11 carries. Or sorry, 12 carries. Um, but, yeah, he's not Cameron Munster. Um. Yeah, Pappenhausen, you know, the one thing about him is he's consistent. He's not making bad mistakes offensively, but then two missed tackles um, as a fullback, you can't really be doing that. No. Um, He had 40 touches, so he had more touches than meaning, which I think the Storm needed. The Storm needed Pappenhausen involved in the offense. They got him involved in the offense, but he just... Couldn't do much with it. Only the one line break, only the 91 metres. Yeah, it's, a, it's concerning. But I want to touch on the elephant in the room out of this game, and it's Brandon Smith. Um, we preach referee kindness every day. You cannot call the referee a cheating bastard. Yeah. Like, and if I'm honest, if any of us got called that, I'll just toss him out of the game. Like, get rid of You cannot speak to a referee like that. Like, it's setting a bad example, and I hope the judiciary comes down hard on it. The fact that I've seen players within the game and 
media within the game saying that he should get off with it is disgusting. It's okay. I can get away with you complaining. I can understand you complaining about referees call. All right. Yes. But to bring the referee's integrity into, into question. question over not giving you a set restart because you advanced the ball four meters off the mark. Yes. That is completely unacceptable. Yes, exactly. Finally, someone gets it. And I, 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 I cannot fathom why someone thinks it's okay to say that to a match official. Like, it, it, it is the cheapest shot to question a referee's integrity that they've got some perceived bias against you. It, it, oh, I hate it. I hate, yeah. hate, hate it. Yeah, definitely. It's, and it shouldn't be a part of rugby league. Yeah, and the judiciary have got to make a bloody good example. And I hate to say it, but I'm looking three to four weeks. I think something similar. I mean, what, Montoya got four weeks for his slur. Yeah, and that so, was with the apology and whatnot. Yeah, so I think three weeks seems pretty fair, in my opinion. Yeah, I tend to agree. It'll be interesting to see how the M, uh, sorry, how the judiciary panel handles that one tomorrow night. But for Melbourne, they have a game against Canberra next week, and Canberra in that logjam of teams trying to fight for that last spot in the eight. While Cronulla have a blockbuster top four clash against North Queensland on Friday night, that promises to be an absolute blockbuster. And the good news for Melbourne, they play on a Sunday, which means they should be able to have their Origin contingent back up. And that includes Munster, who should be out code protocols by then. Should be. Touch wood. Yeah, touch wood, of course. Indeed. Anyway, moving on to Friday night's fixture now. South Sydney 40 defeating Newcastle 28. Now, I need to make a confession. I was watching this on replay because I was out at the AFL on Friday night in the Dogs Army. Supporters base, even though the Western Bulldogs got smashed. But to anyone from Melbourne, thank you, Western Bulldogs away section, for your amazing hospitality during Friday night. It's a different experience, the AFL world. I feel like I was in a cult. <laughs> and that, they, they get you. That's how they get you, mate. Yeah, I, I thought I was just going to have a good time meeting up with some of my family and then, bang, get dragged into a fucking cult. <laughs> <laughs> you better have washed your hands after the game. Otherwise, it'll infect you. Ah, mate, I I was a thorough wash, let me tell you. But on to the game itself. South Sydney did well. They lost Lachlan Ilias in the first few tackles of the game following the uh, friendly fire. Latrell Mitchell, we need to have a bit of a chat about Latrell. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, he's a Roosters fan on his tangent once again because he hates Latrell. No, we're going to debunk that straight away. We do not have a tangent against Latrell Mitchell. If we did, we would have bagged him to Kingdom Come, wouldn't we, Reese? Oh, definitely. But we need to have a talk. 11 carries for 82 metres. Let's go through the rest of the back line. Tane Milne, 14 of 102. Isaiah Tass, 10 of 124. Paulo, 14 of 98. Richie Kenner, 9 of 94. All higher... Than Latrell Mitchell. Okay. I see that, but I'll raise you with this, all right? First of all, let's just look at touches of the ball, all right? Yeah, 29. 19, Isaiah Tass, 11. Jackson Paulo, 16. Richie Kenner, 12. Latrell Mitchell, 29. 
of those 29 touches, 19 of them ended in passes, okay? Yeah. He was, he was getting involved to start second and third phase play more than he was attacking the line. He came away, all right, with a line break, two line break assists and two try assists. To me, that's enough involvement to say he did what he had to do in this particular game. There'll be other games where I think he'll be used more as a ball runner, more in that traditional mold of Greg Inglis at fullback that we always seem to compare Luttrell to. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't one of the games. With the way the Knights defend, Luttrell running the ball would end up meeting a back rower or a prop or a two or three man tackle. Whereas Luttrell passing the ball spaces the Knights out and exposes their edges, which at the best of times are very weak. Yeah, but I think if you get Latrell to go, say, one off the ruck towards a blind side where you get him running at, say, blokes like Milford, uh, Bradman, Bestie, or Inari Tawala, whoever was on that side, I can't remember off the top of my head. But if you get them running at them, then you can open up an offload down the blind, like what we saw 2019 Grand Final. Then you can just start to see where he could potentially get himself involved. I mean, let's take Tex Hoying to account on the other side of the field. He had 14 involvements and only two less touches. So, again, very, very similar figures. And he was playing, I think, that's his first game at fullback all season. Because the other games, he's been in the halves. Yeah, something like that. I think he had a game at lock, too. (laughs) Fucking typical out of my Brian offense, then, (laughs) hey. But back on track, um, South Sydney, um, they did well. A lot of changing, moving parts, a lot of players out injured. And the fact that Daniel Saluka for feeder played more minutes this year in this game for South Sydney than he ever did for the Roosters this season <laughs> is why we got rid of him. Combined, all his games combined. Yes, I think so. I think it's something like that. <laughs> Hold on, you're gonna you're gonna make me check. Uh, it's something like that because you're gonna you're gonna make me check. God damn it! I, I'm not too sure. Because there's been games where he's played three minutes. There's been games where he's played five minutes. Seven. Yeah, oh, okay. no. Okay, I'm, I'm checking now. 15, 30, 43, 57. Oh, no, nah, it's over. Okay, but still. 69. Nice. There was a five-minute game. There was a game where he played five minutes. And he plays 32 in his first stint. It's a touch offensive there, in my opinion. At the end of the day, he's a bench warmer. He, he is a bench care. warmer. I he heard you care. go off camera there for a second. I was like, please don't tell me you're going to cut off on me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> had to disappear for a sec, but it's all good now. It's all good. It's all good, it's all good now. Um, um, Newcastle. So a positive for the Rabbitohs, Cody Walker. Yes. Probably his best game of the season. Yes, he got himself more involved in the attack. A line break, a line break assist, free try assists. I think it's more the um, continuity having Latrell back there at fullback. Definitely, yeah. Massive boost room because we saw when Latrell was not in that lineup how much the responsibility on solely on his shoulders with a young fullback, a young halfback, and Damian Cook, who had that indifferent run of form, is probably still in that indifferent run of form, it's safe to say. And he was just struggling to carry the responsibility. He would get frustrated, he'd get pissed off. He'd instigate push and shoves. But I think now is where Cody can say, this is where I can become the player that everyone wants me to. Yeah, but if it's, it becomes a question. If we end up back in um, the games where they are tighter and Cody Walker isn't able to get the space 
that he sort of got against this Newcastle side. Do we see the frustration begin to vet again for Walker, or does that presence of Latrell, who we can lean upon, help calm him down? I think that's the presence be... of Latrell has way as as more of a bearing than I think a lot of people are thinking. Yeah, but that's going to be the big test for South Sydney as they look to push towards finals. They need to have Cody Walker firing pretty much every single week. Latrell, you know, he's always hit or miss, but his versatility allows him, like what happened against Newcastle, to be able to operate within the attack even when he's not being at his most effective. Whereas Walker. When he is bad, he's downright awful. Yeah, I want to take uh, our listeners through CF Sydney's next run of games. So they've got the Bulldogs on Sunday night. That's a tough one, all things considering. Uh, Melbourne, Bulldogs Cronulla. The game against South. Yeah, so they've got the Bulldogs, Storm, Cronulla, Warriors, Eels, Panthers, mm. Cowboys, Roosters to end the season. Massively That's a brutal tough, run home. Massively tough run. You're going up against three of the top four. Plus, they're going up against all the top four currently. Pardon? They're going up against all the top four currently. Sorry. Plus, top eight contenders: Parramatta Roosters, uh, Parramatta Roosters, and Souths. That's 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 what I was saying. They're going up against two teams that are in the range that they have to beat. And that last round in particular is all the more important because Roosters are christening their brand new stadium. Yep. Well, I mean. You could have just lifted the fact it was a Rabbitohs Roosters game. That makes it important enough. Yeah, I'm going to that first Roosters Rabbitohs game, man. I'm excited as hell. You should enjoy it. I will enjoy it. But on to Newcastle, um, Jaden Braley. We touched on him earlier. Good to see him back. Uh, was solid in his stint, got a try assist. The Knights did really well to stay in this game, I thought, because CS went on that scoring way where they picked up four tries before half time. And you're kind of thinking, oh, can they stay with them? But in the end, they did really well to stay in there for as long as they did until David Clemmer had his brain snapped. Do you want to touch on the Knights first before we go on to Clemmer? Um, yeah, sure. All right, touch on them, my friend. Um, so yeah, the Rabbitohs from thirty to from the thirtieth minute to the forty-second minute, four tries that really blew the game open. But then the Knights counted really well. They went try for try with South Sydney pretty much after that. They just couldn't get that advantage back they needed to to go on and win the game. Um, looking at Newcastle, it was the battle of the forwards. For South Sydney, their forwards did pretty well as well. Um, Tom Burgess is over 200 metres, which is very, very nice for him. He's finding his form, isn't he? Definitely, but Newcastle matched them really well. Clemmer, 169 metres. Um, D. Saf, 163 metres. Tyson, 125. Barnett, 105. You know, the problem was Newcastle's bench. They didn't get the effectiveness out of the bench. They probably needed to to have a better performance in that middle period of the game, which is where Souths ran away with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it comes back to that, you know, the Knights have so much top-line talent. Obviously, they were missing um, Jacob Saifiti and Kalen Ponga mm-hmm. because of origin duties, but they still have that top-line talent. Milford was playing real, pretty well, um, especially. But they just don't have the depth they need to hang with these bigger teams. Especially when, all right, um, Leo Thompson, Matt Croker, and Pasami Salo played a combined 66 minutes. 
He's making the Roosters bench look useful, man. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, mate, Adam O'Brien, you know. Look, if you happen to play DSAF 63 minutes and Clemmer 66 minutes, you know, your two starting props, both doing effectively triple stints, you're not really going to win too many football games, are you? No, you're not. But I want to touch on the David Clemmer incident briefly. Of course, Graham Annesley had a bit to say about it in his weekly briefing, but I just want to touch on the incident because a lot of people are saying it's not a send-off, but in my view, and we've touched on a few of these incidents where the defender uh, comes in over the top, elbow to the head, I think that, I think Clemmer could have done, he could have, he went looking for that, I yeah. think, because he... he had the altercation with Colin Matangi off the previous set. Yeah, exactly. He carried on. You know, the one thing referees hate more than an instantaneous brawl is when a player carries on the brawl down the line. And that's what the send-off's for. It's not for what Clement did in the moment. It's because he had a moment, had a chance to cool off, and then still did what he did. Yeah, and then Latrell Mitchell, third man in, probably could have done with some time in the Simbian, but we'll touch on that. A little bit later too. I get why he ran in, but yeah, we don't need the third man in stuff to kind of return to rugby league because we've done there, so well to eradicate it. There is a line between being a leader and being an instigator, and I think Latrell was doing an Irish jig on that line. Yeah, he was. He was, so, he was a bit close. <laughs> yeah, he he struggles out. He struggles out, mate, Latrell. <laughs> okay, moving on now. We've got to keep his name on the tabloid somehow, I guess. Sure, sure. Keep, they, keep, keep those guys in jobs. News Corp need headlines. They need exactly. headlines. He, he's a man of the people, Troll Mitchell. <laughs> he is. He, <laughs> he's kept buzzing a job for the last, what, five years? Exactly. Anyway, moving on. Tigers 20 lost to Parramatta Eels 28. We're back at Leichhardt. And the Eels were unconvincing. Who said that was going to be the case last week? Oh, I wonder who. We did. <laughs> because we know that Parramatta pulled this shit every second week. They were down 12 nil. They looked out of that game. And then they got a bit lucky with a Simbin to the poor young debutant, Justin Natamua. And Parramatta took it completely in their advantage. Well, you can say that, or you can just turn around and say that they realized they were playing the Tigers. That <laughs> um, yeah. That Sinbin completely changed the game. Yeah, they got but that's footy. The referees are going to make the calls, and you have to live with it. Um, but at the end of the day, you take a look at the squad for the Eels. Papa Lee was excellent. 154 metres, 77 post-contact. Those are some ridiculous numbers. Um, oh, I think he was dropping out. There we go. Oregon Kafusi and Nathan Brown off the bench as well. Both... It, was good. it was a good bounce back game for Nathan. Definitely. And <sighs> do you see do you see him back in first grade anytime soon? Or do you think he's not going to be back until he signs with another club? I think he's probably done at the Eels, if I'm being honest. I reckon I just... he might get one more I reckon he might get one more game down towards the end of the season. Maybe That'll one more game towards well. the end, but long term I think he's down the pecking order. Like, that was his chance. If he wanted to probably take a first-grade position, 
you could probably say, oh, let's run over 100 metres here, do a little bit there. But uh, one well, player on... You, you told him to run over 100 metres, he got stopped on 99. <laughs> Very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Um, but one player we do want to, I do want to touch on here, Regan Campbell-Gillard. There's been a lot of talk this week about origin and about his exclusion as such, but I think the reality is he wasn't... I've had a bit of a deeper dive over the week, and I just don't see him being there. I, I just don't. Like, he doesn't fit the mould of a Brad Fittler coached team. Like, they like to play high-energy fast football. Campbell Gillard's got one of the more slower play-the-ball speeds amongst forwards in the competition. I think uh, Reese may correct me if I'm wrong here, but bar bench forwards, he had the slowest play-the-ball speed of all Parramatta forwards on Saturday night. All forwards on both teams. The only person slow was Oregon Kafusi. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay, that, that that makes my point. And I think Fittler likes to play that up-tempo style of game where you can just go bang that next man up, bang, go to there. Because you look at some of those past play-the-ball speeds, Cameron Murray, one of the quicker ones in the competition. Tedesco, same thing. And His teammate, Junior pa- Paolo. Paolo, exactly. But um, And I think I just think going forward, he's probably buried a lot of bridges because he there's been – a lot of talk about rumours surrounding Penrith stuff. I don't buy it, personally. I, I think, think it's all PR I think rubbish. Had, I think the f- sheer number of Penrith players, and when you throw in Matt Burden as well, in that New South Wales squad, it does have its influence. But I don't think it has enough of an influence to end with them forcing Campbell Gillard out of the squad. There was definitely more to it than just that. Yeah, I just think... like. And, of course, the tabloids at News Corp have gone into bat for Regan. And oh, of he's, he, if, I guarantee you, if, Queen, if New South Wales lose Game 3, Regan Campbell-Gillard will be the biggest martyr rugby league has seen since... Oh, God knows. <laughs> God knows. Exactly, my friend. Exactly. I can't even, I can't even think of one that would be bigger. I and we've had a few martyrs in the last decade or so, haven't we? We have. We have remember, had a big Remember martyr, when but... everyone was up in arms about Michael Jennings playing reserve grade? That's right. And he, didn't, he played Origin from reserve grade. Yep, exactly. And I'd say Campbell Gillard would still be bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. Well, I 100% agree. And I think going forward for Parramatta, like, you look at some of the kids coming through their system at the moment. Kafusi oh, won't even be there next year's off at the Sharks. So I think that they're okay. screwed come forward depth. Neokore's gone to Warriors next year. Papa Lee's gone. This is going to be a new look pack as far well, as they... Parramatta are concerned next year. You, you know how desperate Parramatta are? Don't they tell me they've to, gone for it. They have had to bring in Nathan Brown to help clean up their pathway system. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're telling me Parramatta have just employed the bloke that didn't want to go to New Zealand. Yes. <sighs> Fuck me. All right, let's go talk about the Tigers because we've got a bit to dissect here. Um, big news of the week. Tim Sheens has put his hand up and said he wants to coach again. Not only will it make him the most likely active NRL coach to die while on duty. 
Where did that come from? I saw it on Twitter. I saw it on Twitter. <laughs> Just, I, wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. How old is he? He's like 70. He's 71. He's the same. He's younger than Bennett. Oh, actual? He's younger than Bennett by about 11 months. But let's be real here. Tim Sheets is yesterday's coach. I don't know yeah. why you'd go from going from whole KR to Salford with less than positive success sets you up to magically rescue the Tigers. Well, look, I'll just sum this up nicely. I saw a very nice tweet from everyone's favourite rugby league satire account, the Sack Report. What is it from their mates at the Sack? All right. Um, breaking news. Tim Sheens intends to return the Tigers to their 2011 glory if he's appointed head coach. Sources suggest he will do that by coaxing Benji Marshall, Chris Lawrence, and Gareth Ellis out of retirement. Um, and I think that hits the nail on the head. I think that basically sums up that the Tigers bringing in Tim Sheens, it undoes a decade of, while very negligent, still work. I'm not a fan of... Um, the, the game has changed. It's 100% changed. And since, I just... Since Sheens left the club in 2012, the game has massively changed. Yeah, and I think as far as Pathway is concerned, the Tigers, we're all going to acknowledge that the Tigers have... Shut the bed here. Let's be yeah. real. Mick Potter shit, that did not help him whatsoever. When... And then obviously the fallout with the whole Jason Taylor, Robbie Farrance, they got both of them out of a job at one point. Yep. Then you go Ivan's bus. Yep. And, and then the ultimatums. And then you go to... And then we're into the Maguire years. Then we go through Madge and yeah, everything else sort of we're... happened. And now we're we at this standstill. We're... Here we are in the exact same spot the Tigers were in when they sacked Sheens in 2012. 100%. Almost like they haven't moved at all. They've they've stood still. They've stood, it's like they've got their heads in the sand and have just done jack shit. It's like, it's like the Tigers are like the Ferrari power engine at the moment. Yeah. and and, And I understand that, you know, there are the issues with the two sides of the merger, especially. The Balmain Leagues Club. There have been the issues in the past with that. And then obviously you've also got the issues with the Campbelltown junior system being absolutely atrocious. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they have completely failed as a rugby league team in the last decade. Yeah, and um what am I gonna say? Um there's a good crop of young juniors coming through. West's suburb Western Suburbs won the twenty twenty two Howard Match Comp. Which is yeah, under so they're, seventeen. They're, they're finally getting the juniors in that they needed. They're undefeated too, I think. Yeah, but they they're getting the junior base in now that they needed when they had Tedesco and Moses and Woods and Brooks at his peak. Like I remember an under twenties game, the Tigers v the Sharks, and this Sharks twenty seventeen team was good. It finished eighty four six. Remember yep. that one? Yep, I remember that because. That was the game where basically everyone sort of turned around and said that Carl Flanagan was going to be the greatest halfback to ever lace on a pair of boots in the NRL. <laughs> um, and they ended up choking out of the finals that. that year. Yeah. Um, but. but. Yeah, look. The Tigers, they need an overhaul of the club. Like, I don't think you fix it just by appointing Sheens as head coach. 
it starts obviously with Pasco leaving his post as CEO. He's got to go, has man. To be the start. Of He's got to go. Happens. He has to go. There's be there is no redeeming quality right now to keep Justin Pasco in a job, apart from inflating your ego even more. It, that is true. But um, I want to go yeah. uh, on field if we can. Um, yeah. they did all right. Like they were in that game against Parramatta, and you probably feel like if they show if they get a few little one percenters right, then they win that game. Like if Matt Miller times that hit a little bit later, sorry, a little bit earlier, and not to the head, then that's a good hit on the kicker. And then if we go and there's another high shot, I think that goes off the set after they score the first try that marches them downfield. Again, just a little execution things that aren't going right. And the freaking ship and chase by Luke Brooks. We need to have a chat about him. He needs. He, I think it's best for the West Tigers Football Club and for Luke Brooks to pack up his bags and go to England. I genuinely think, because obviously the Tigers are paying Brooks a lot of money next season. And what that's the do? issue with releasing him because you still get his contracts on the book. Let's say that Fox League report of the Tigers paying him $1.3 million for 2023 is correct. Uh, just hypothetically. Mm-hmm. If I'm the Tigers, I'd genuinely be offering to pay $1 million of that salary to get him out of the club. Cause, you'd, you'd pay that much. Because, number one, you move Adam Dewey back into his natural position, mm-hmm. which they desperately need to do. They can't have him wasting away off the bench or in the centres. But then number two, all right, it changes the way the club operates completely. Right now, Hastings is losing out because whatever he does, Brooks come in and does something way worse and just undoes undoes everything. So it'll bring the best out of Hastings to be that unanimous number one half. And then obviously it'll bring the best out of Dewey going back into the halves. I tend to agree, but Luke Brooks... You are the new halfback of the Castleford Tigers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you're going to be playing for the Tigers, just in the <laughs> north of England. <laughs> okay. Hope you, pack, hope you packed a jumper in a raincoat, big fella. Okay, moving on now to Sunday footy, and it was a big win for the Brisbane Broncos over the St. George Illawarra Dragons to the tune of 32 points to 18. We went back to 1992, and the baby Broncos reemerged with a big victory. It has to be said. Tessie New put on an audition for clubs in need of a fullback and utility in the wake of the Brisbane Broncos announcing the return of Reese Walsh this week. Reese, we didn't get to cover this one last time. How are you feeling, big fella? Um, look, first of all, I do have some news to share about this game. Yes. Um, after the game, Ezra Mam went for some x-rays. Is this for the hamstring? Mm, it was. They found that the hamstring was okay. They also found that he has that dog in him. <laughs> May, May, this kid is special. Seriously. He was very, very good. And I think he you is... put him next to someone. Genuinely? Right? Genuinely? Ezra Mam is what we expected Tom Dearden to be when he came out the gates. Do I know the difference? Go ahead. Ma'am. Has Adam Reynolds next to him. Exactly. Tom I... Dearden had Anthony fucking Milford. Yeah. 
That was what I was going to say. And you look at what Tom's been able to do this year with Chad Townsend next to him. Possibly playing for Queensland and the side question mark. Yeah, we'll touch on that at the back end because the sides have to be finalized pretty soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to what we're talking about. I'm testing you. I, oh, he had a very, very mixed bag. I thought he bag. had a great game. He was good. But he also had some very shocking moments. Four errors and a couple of bomb tries as well. So, you know, I don't care what anyone says. Reese Walsh is a massive upgrade on him. Tamara yeah. Martin was a very big upgrade on him as well. I'm sure he'll end up signing with the Dolphins or the Titans and end up making me up my words. He'll follow the Jermaine Asako career simulator. <laughs> <laughs> well, then he won't be my words, will he? No, he won't. But um, Zach Hosking made his debut. I gave him my two points. I thought he was outstanding. There's a lot of people on Broncos Twitter that are basically have basically accepted that even though this was an awesome game for him, this is the first and last time we're seeing Zach Hosking in first grade. For the Brisbane Broncos? For, at least for the Brisbane Broncos, yeah. Um, Just because you've got that young core of guys coming through, like TC I mean, Rapati, Pia Cura. I mean, let's be real. He did better than a certain back rower on the team. <laughs> Ricky. Um, <laughs> I can't say it too loud. Otherwise, um, there would be some Broncos fans that want my head. There is one player that I did give my three points to, Kobe Heverington. Mate. If I questioned you... if you could have someone run with Payne Haas. Not, and let alone this bloke carrying your forward pack without him. Good get. It's crazy that we can lose Pat Carrigan and still replace him with a lock very much as good. Like, he was very, very good, in my opinion, too. Katoni Staggs, I gave my one. So that means my three was Heverington, two was Hosking. One was Stags. Yeah, I can understand that. Stags. This is honorable mention Tessie New. This is the natural game for Katani Stags. Being that strike weapon. And he got a lot better. I really criticized him last week for not getting involved. I was gonna say that, yeah. He only had 13 touches, which is still the fewest of any starter on the team. But crucially, he got more involved. Um, in your attacking side of the field. In the attacking side, when hunting for the ball to get into space, which is what we need from him. Exactly right. And um, let's touch on the Dragons. <sighs> you need Ben That was possibly the worst halfback performance I have seen since Kyle Flanagan in a Roosters jersey. Like, look, like it's the last tackle, and you're in the red zone. Fucking put an attacking kick in. Don't run it and run this half-ass play. Like, come well, on. Here's the thing: you take a look at the Dragons kicking. Amon was the one who was really the attacking kicker. The dominant he had kicker, two yeah. Balls, three grubbers and a crossfield kick, but he also kicked two balls dead. And he had, and right. I think, what was it? The start of the second half, like their first three sets, they kicked the ball in the end goal on the full. Um, 
Something Let's like that. Let's get up my live update. Let's get up my live update and have a look. Well, I've only got I've only got they got the two kicks that went dead all game. So I I just remember their first few kicks to start the second half were caught on the floor in the end goal by you blokes. Okay, yeah, that might, yeah, yeah. Jaden Sullivan puts way too much on it. Yeah, just a okay. touch too much. Will be another seven tackle set. That's one more. Yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got two for you blokes straight in the second half. And that's the issue. Jaden Sullivan doesn't have that little touch with his kicking game that we see from other halfbacks in the NRL. Mm-hmm. The little touch to make the ball pull up inside that 10-meter line. So realistically, he should end up having to aim at about at to land it the line to give it that margin of error. Yeah. But I don't know. He hasn't really adapted his game around that yet, which is very weird given this is what his second season first grade. Yep, and they'll be hoping yeah. Ben Hunt turns it uh, backs up against the Roosters on Saturday. That's now a massive game for both sides. Of course, the Roosters on the outside looking in for the semi-final race. Of course, a so, win. Same with the Dragons. They're down. To yep, the they're both on the outside now. looking, but the Roosters have the edge as far as for and against is concerned. So a win for the Roosters puts them inside the top eight. Depending on what happens with Manly. Depending on what happens with Manly, but at worst, we'll go ninth. Yeah. With a win on Saturday, and I'll, I'll take ninth because if we can get at least to ninth, I'm confident that we can get up because I think we've got a head-to-head match with Manly in round twenty. You and just have to, you just have to stay in the dance now. Yeah, we just have to be. We don't have to worry about the team saying from fourth upwards as long as we're in the eight. I give the Roosters every chance. Don't worry about don't worry about the fact you can't char char yet. You just have to stay at the dance. Exactly. And exactly. if you stay in the dance long enough, maybe you will start being able to cha-cha. Um, but yeah, my last point was just about Cody Ramsey. Uh, Anthony Griffin, you needed to pick him over Tyrell Sloan to start the season. He has yep. taken that jersey, made it his own. That was a great individual try from him. And I really think now Tyrell Sloan's on the out on the out. I think teams well, I just need you to settle a quick debate for me. Yep. Um, Cody Ramsey or Reese Walsh? I'll go Walsh because of his attacking flair and kicking game. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Was that now really that's, a debate? Now on that that's out of the way, I can talk about Cody Ramsey's game. Was that really a debate? That was really a debate I was having with a Dragons fan after the Walsh signing was announced. Oh, for fuck's sake. Um... But yeah, so Cody Ramsey, couple tries. He did really nicely to cause the Broncos issues. Two line breaks as well, obviously. Um, six tackle breaks as well, which for a fullback as skinny as Ramsey is, that's actually really impressive. You don't normally see that. And that's one of the issues that people have with Reese Walsh. You know, because of how small he is, is he going to be able to break tackles or just is he going to be a speed merchant who needs open space to operate properly? Yeah. Um, but I think we've seen enough from the Warriors this season to suggest that Walsh can operate in a set defense. It's just not his best attribute. 100% it is. But anyway, on to the Graham Annesley briefing now. We have some stats, first of all, in reference to foul play from the split round. Obviously, a little bit of an increase after Tarek Sims's two sim mins. Well done. Well done, T. Well done. First Jill Simbin since Kane Evans last year. Yep. That one. But anyway, 
Some statistics about foul play penalties. Round 17 saw 6.25 average foul play penalties a game. That is significantly up on the average of around three and a half a game this year. Then we what we have we call mandatory penalties. This is like offside, anything that happens with inside the 40. So we have eight of those on average a game. So technically, if we add those two together, we have an average of 14.25 penalties a game. Yep. And then we go to the average average of mandatory penalties, it's 6.4. So if we add those together, it's 9.9. Now, if we go to instances on report, this week we had two and a half a game. And the average this year is 1.2. Simbins, 1.3. We averaged over a little bit over one. Uh, yep. And then average penalty, average per game, 0.05. Sorry, 0.5 Simbins a game. What are your takes still... on that? It's still relatively consistent. Yes. So, yeah, not an issue. Really okay, so some incidents to come out of the weekend. Uh, first of all, Tigers v Eels. Reed Marnie passed to Panasini, was ruled forward. Graham Annesley and the match officials' uh, assessment committee are of the opinion the pass clearly goes backwards and thus an incorrect decision by the referee, Chris Butler. Anything to say on that one? Um... Look, forward passes are always up to the referee's interpretation. I don't like when Annesley knocks his head in to say whether it was wrong or not. But at the end of the day, if the video shows it goes backwards, I'm okay with Annesley turning around saying it goes backwards. And I think I'll give this one the benefit of the doubt as well. Yeah, well that, I think from memory, this is our first forward pass dealing of the season. So it, it shows it doesn't come up often. Yeah. And I'm happy to go through it. Because the Annesley was of the opinion also that the, the ball bouncing on the ground was the illusion that the pass had gone forward. Which is what we saw in Origin 1 as well. Yes. When Blues fans were blowing up about the pass being forward, or in one case I heard a deliberate knock-on. <laughs> um, were we really that salty? Yeah, you were. I wasn't. Not, I'm not talking about me. I'm okay, referring sorry. to we as New I'm South Wales fans. New South Wales fans were. Yes. <laughs> uh, incident two, the David Nofaluma try. Wait, I just, I just realised. Deliberate knock-on in Union, that would have been a sin bin. <laughs> we saw that in the Wallabies England game. A player went for an intercept. It was called a deliberate knock-on. He got sent to the sin bin. <laughs> Lee, better ridiculous. than Union. Mate, mate, this is why I can never get into rugby union. Seriously, the way the rules are worked... Oh, mate... It's literally, it's supposed to be one of the most aggressive games in the world. But the you amount can't of deliberate for an intercept without risking ten minutes in the bin. The amount of deliberate knock-ons I saw at the AFL on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair shout, fair shout. Yeah, buddy should have been given a yellow card. <laughs> They're literally dropping the ball and regathering it, and they're not calling anything. Cheer, cheer the red <laughs> and the white. <laughs> Also, shout out to the legends at the... Back on our sport, AJ. Back on our sport. Yeah. Okay, incident two. Tigers beat Eels and David Nofaluma try. I honestly wanted to show to demonstrate how close the decision was. It's important to note that this was a correct decision by the bunker. Shows the purpose of the video referee. Annesley believes there was enough downward pressure on the ball in this instance. So, we had a bit of a situation last few weeks where we were looking too hard to overturn things. So, I think at the moment, this is the directive that to stick with the decision and not try to overturn it. Yeah. And I think that's the best way forward for referees. 
And I think I'd, we... Go I'd on. rather see them stick with a not non-clear decision made by the on-field ref than try to overturn it based on that same non-clear evidence. And on technical stuff as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, incident three, the Deloise Hoyter try on the Broncos-Dragons game. There was suggestions of a double movement in this one, but there's always momentum in the tackle. Again, Annesley believes it's worth pointing out these two incidents in particular that we've touched on, the Nofaluma try and the Hoyter try, to show the worthiness of the bunker and also needs the fact that the bunker needs evidence to overturn a decision and there was no evidence to overturn this one whatsoever. Another correct decision. Yep, and I think what this one really, it gave the illusion because of the way Hoyter bounced after the impact. Yes. You could see him reaching the ball out. But it wasn't like he was on the ground stretching his hand out to put the ball over the line. Yes. The way he bounced, reaching the ball after that's a natural reaction. It's not a reaction to try and ground the ball. Yeah. Now, there was one other thing I forgot out of this game, uh, out of the briefing, sorry, that I reminded Reese to try and remind me to get to, but I remembered on my own. Fair enough. Uh, I'm not needed here anyway. Pardon? I'm not needed here anyway. You are. Stop it. <laughs> uh, Graham Mosley was satisfied with Todd Smith's decision to dismiss David Clemmer from the field on Friday night. However, he believes that the Simbin was possibly the better alternative. Uh, he also believes Latrell Mitchell should have been Simbin for being third man in, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. Third man in to instigate should go. I mean, when you look at what the MRC gave Clemmer, I think it's pretty clear they think the Simbin was an alternative as well. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, they, they met this morning and although he supported the decision to remove the player, he believes that a different mode of removal was required. Yeah, and at the end of the day, look, I'm happy for it to be a send-off because one, it was at the end of the game. It had no impact on the flow of the game. True. And two, it sets an example to other players not to do what Clemmer did. Police, <laughs> Mate, he'll never learn. He will never learn. And he'll get off at the judiciary. Yep, like he always does. Excuse Madison me. and Sammy Walker. Well, Sam Walker, sorry, we'll all agree with that. Okay. Origin decider time now. We are going on Wednesday night for the Origin Decider and Reese it had some late controversy surrounding Cameron Munster and Murray Lange. Yeah, well, we always usually hear Stories of Cleve- of Queensland um, getting flu cases before Big Origin games. The stomach um, bug. But I think they bit off more than they could chew with this story. <laughs> um, yeah. Tuolangi and Munster both testing positive for COVID-19. Both ruled out of Origin. Um, Jai Arrow came out today and said that the team was absolutely rattled to hear Munster testing positive. That shows the mindset Queensland are in. I don't think they're in a really healthy mindset heading into this game, especially now with Munster out. And that's not the only concern. But at, of the, course... at, at the same time, though, this could just be Queens that that could just be Queensland mind game, saying they're able to try and make New South Wales go a bit softer at the start, and then Queensland come out and take the ascendancy. Hundred percent. Uh, but New South Wales haven't been without their fair share of drama involving Jordan McLean's hamstring. Poor Blake. I feel sorry for him. I was really looking forward to seeing how he'd go at Origin. That press conference, seeing him... Break down. Break down like that, that really hurt. I, obviously, 
absolutely hate his guts because he plays for the North Queensland Cowboys. Um, I think that's natural. But yeah, it really stung watching him be just. You can see the emotion. This guy, uh, Jordan McLean, he's worked so hard to reshape his image after what happened in 2014. Yeah, like, yeah, and you look back and he made the Australian team in the 2017 World Cup. Hasn't had the best sort of luck at the Cowboys, it's safe to say, but this year he's he's taken his game back to that level where he did play on the bench in the 2017 World Cup. Yep, and he deserved to be rewarded for it with that origin spot, and it sucks he won't get that chance. But, you know, one, one man's trash is another man's treasure. It gives a chance to Jacob Saifini to make his impact on the or- on Origin. I think they've gone with the wrong player. Oh, they definitely have gone with the wrong player, but I'm not going to complain. No, about but that. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I think Dalfa Nukin, starting alongside Jake Trebojevic, is a much better fit. Well, Fiddler actually confirmed today that the players wanted Nukin, but he overruled it to bring in Saifini. There you go. I'm not alone. Yeah. So I think just the experience in that Origin domain is so vital for a decider. You want to throw young Saifidi into that cauldron? Well, the good news is there's there's reports saying he'll come off the bench. Paulo will start and Saifidi will go back to the bench. Okay, I can live with that. If he was starting, I would have just thrown something at my TV. If he was starting, 100%, that's where Ben Hunt's first kickoff's going. Oh, yeah. He's just going to... He's of the field and you're sending five players at him straight away. Yeah, um, Queensland, though, uh, Jeremiah Nanai starting. I want your thoughts on this one. Would you have gone with Joy Arrow maybe to start over Nanai, or are you looking for that instant impact from Jeremiah? I really don't know what to make of this, because the way we saw Nanai in Game 2 and 3... 1 and 2. Well, sorry, Game 1 and 2, my bad. Mind oh, reader, mate. Um... The way we saw <laughs> I'm already I'm already anticipated to do that in game three. That's really where my mindset's at. Um really concerning. No, the way we saw him in game one, game two, obviously game one, he was impacted by that ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Um he did return, but he wasn't his best. But game two, obviously the glaring issue was his defense. Especially that play out of marker where I believe it was Lou I scored. Yes. Um, and that is the big issue going forward. He is a very negative defender. Um, yeah, I've noticed that. Even at club level, too. And Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I think we pointed out yeah. the missed tackle stats. Yeah, exactly. And the big issue is he's next to Dan Gaga, who for the first two games of the series has also been a very negative defender. Um, so you might get into a situation where the Blues get into a three-on-three battle and just see which one of those two makes a mistake first. Attack that. 100%, my friend. It's going to be an interesting decider, of course. Kickoff is at the unhealthy time of 8.10, and I'm covering it all for League Unlimited. Very much looking forward to my first origin. I'm making my debut too, Jacob. It's okay. We can both suck together. <laughs> now, ah, um, a bit of late news. The, obviously, stuff's gone bad at the storm for them to have to do this, but they have confirmed the Eastern Stand at Amy Park will be the Cameron Smith Stand. And will be unveiled this Sunday ahead of their match against Canberra. So they must be desperate for a win to pull out that sort of stocks. May Cameron Smith, if I'm Cameron Smith, I'd be fuming. I get a stand while all these Roosters players get boats. Not fair. 
<laughs> Cooper Cogs, Cooper Cogs probably just sent him a photo from his private yacht. <laughs> That's what you get when you win back to back for us, Cameron. Ah, oh, good banter. That's good what banter. you get. That's what you get for winning back to back with us, my friend. <laughs> oh, to be fair, one of them was going back to back in 2018. Fair point. We just didn't know which one until the Sunday. Yes, yes, yes. Now, it is time for our prestigious Low Cow of the Week. No! That never gets old, my friend. This week, our Low Cow goes to New York Jets quarterback, Zach Wilson. (laughs) Now... This is one of the most bizarre stories we have ever come across. His ex-girlfriend has accused him of sleeping with his mum's best friend. Yep. Well, it's the first time the Jets have scored over 40 since 2018. (laughs) Um, So, good on them. But I will say, in Zach's defence... I have seen the pictures of his mum's best friend. <laughs> and with all due respect, I do fully understand. Well, we do know why he chose BYU University. They, the nickname oh. is the Cougars. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it fits right in, mate. He does fit right in. <laughs> but from a rugby league point of view, there is no bigger lol cow, in my opinion, this week than the Daily Telegraph. We love doing the Daily Telegraph. This week's no different because they are trying so hard to get Tim Sheens into the coaching box. <laughs> oh. Like, come on, man. This is the weirdest agenda I've ever seen from them, seriously. And I've seen a bunch of weird DT agendas. Yeah, we, we have. And I think at the moment, are they going to try and get Tim, Jimmy Dimmick a job now he got sacked from the Titans? <laughs> Might as well. Interesting one, Reese. What have you got this week, my friend? Okay, so this might be a bit of a longer one. Okay, um, sit back, relax, get your pen and paper ready. But I am giving my low cow to the entire Formula 2 feature race yesterday. Because okay. there was a lot of crazy shit that happened. Is this something to do with track limits? Oh, there is a lot more than track limits, mate. Oh, God, I better get comfortable. Yep. Yeah. So let's start at the start. The top five started on wet weather tires. Or tires, sorry. Wet? On a track that dried after four laps. So they all had to pit and fall to the back of the field. All the guys who started on six went to the front. Okay? Yes. Then the track limits start being applied. Five-second time penalties everywhere. There were a couple of drivers... Jack Dewan included, who ended up picking fifteen seconds, picking up fifteen seconds worth of penalties because of track limits, which is very ridiculous. But at the end of the race, Richard Bashaw crossed the line in first place, ten seconds ahead of his nearest rival. It was easily the most dominant win of his career mm-hmm. until about three and a half hours later when it was revealed that the team could not submit the mandatory 800 milliliter fuel sample to the FIA, and he was disqualified. Oh, my God. So, up now to the win comes Jehan Daruvla, 
the Red Bull Junior, who has been very consistent this year, although this is only his first win of the year, until about two and a half hours after the disqualification of the Shaw, where the FIA revealed that the Rubler's team used the blow dryers that he supposed to be used to help cool the interiors of the car to try and dry the part of the track the Rubler was starting on, which handed him a 20-second time penalty. So now, this is the official winner of the race. It's Logan Sargent, who was one of the five drivers who started on the wet tires at the start of the race. So then they're <laughs> full circle. <laughs> but it, it gets even better. Because Roberto Mary, all right, he's a driver that's filling in for the Campos racing team because their other driver has a condition where he can't drive because of the G-forces on his neck. It's very unfortunate. Um, he started the race in 21st position on the slick tires because he was taking a risk. You have to take a risk in that position. By lap 39 of 40, he managed to fight all his, his way up to second. But then he got handed the track limits penalty for five seconds <laughs> and it dropped him down to fifth. But with the two penalties handed out at the end of the race, he's now back up to third. <laughs> I just don't understand. This is peak Formula 2, seriously. Yeah, it's I thought it was nice ridiculous. to see Pando get a penalty. Yep, Norris, Joe, and Gasly all picked up track limit penalties in the F1 race as well. So it was for all the more experienced drivers as well. The goddamn turn in Austria. Seriously, it's just so tempting to go over them. I mean, we both know playing the F1 game, we both pick up a few track limit warnings. Oh, time trial all the time. Lap time invalidated, left, right, center. Indeed it is. But anyway, that will wrap us up for our look at round 17 and our preview of the Origin Decider. A reminder, we'll be back on Thursday with our look at the Decider. And the report card is back by popular demand. A massive thanks to Reese Sullivan, as always, for appearing. Thank you for having me, AJ. It was a very good podcast. Obviously, a short week of rugby league, so we had to throw some filler in. Um, we did have to throw some filler in. But we're back to eight games now until finals time, which is very Indeed. exciting. Indeed it will be. I'm AJ Luke Antonio, and we'll catch you on Thursday for our look at the Origin Decider. Take care, See everyone. You,